Hey everyone, and welcome to another Yoast SEO podcast. I'm joined today by my friend, longtime friend by by now. I can say I think we've been in this industry for too long together, Cindy Krum, uh, who is the CEO of Mobile Moxie and Mobile Tools. Am I saying that correctly, Cindy? Because it's well, always the CEO of Mobile Moxie, and we have Mobile Tools. Awesome. Yeah, that's good. So can you tell us a bit about what Mobile Moxie does? Yeah, so we've been around since uh, 2008, but I've been doing SEO since before then. But Mobile Moxie um, has mobile SEO tools, and now we've added desktop, so desktop SEO tools as well. Um, they have names that people really like, the Serperator and the Pagescope, and the app Rankalyzer. And... Um, yeah, they capture mobile views of pages and the source code and, uh, you know, show you progress over time. So, for instance, like with the Pagescope, if you work with a huge team that's updating the website without telling you, you can see when the change went live and look at the code differences uh, between um, and see it as mobile. So the more that things move into the edge and the cloud, um, mm -hmm. it gets harder and harder to audit pages because not all the tools do it properly. So we help with that. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I will give you the the thing on naming you. Uh, the best name that you've come up with is probably also a topic that we're going to spend too much time on today. <laughs> is and I I actually remember you coining it. I think because this was at Oktoberfest, uh, yeah. um, where you talked about fraggles. Can you explain this to people? Because I don't know if I still get it. To be honest. <laughs> Yeah, so the concept of fraggles was basically, um, it's the word fragment plus the word handle. So a fragment of text and a handle or a jump link. And what I saw was that Google seemed to be testing adding uh, jump links into the search results where there were no actual jump links in the page code. So Google was able to kind of overlay um, a jump link and get people directly to a piece of content. And that seemed to me to be just fundamental to changing how Google indexes things. If, could, because for so many years, the smallest increment that Google could index was a page, a, a full page. And so we worried about diluting the main keyword and you know, not having a good enough focus. But now if Google can take pieces of a page, then maybe those concerns go away. We're not diluting it or we're you know, adding richness to it if it has multiple topics, perhaps. Yeah. And how does that relate to URLs in your head? Well, so what Google has said, so Google doesn't call them fraggles. Google calls them passages now. Um, but um, what they've said is that the fraggles aren't indexed independently of the URL, they're indexed with the URL. So it's just a deeper piece that Google knows this is the whole page and then it has pieces that can rank for other keywords. So it's a segmentation of a page. Okay. Yeah. I, in my mind, this is still hard. Um, but that's because I am far too old fashioned and everything for me is URL based and, 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 and things die because of that. Uh, at the same time, I do see what you're seeing as well in, in, in all this, uh, passage ranking, they, they're talking about that. And it, it does make a lot of sense as in all the linguistic stuff that they've done over the last few years, they, they have been talking about all these factors and, uh, and how they look at that. And it, it really is a lot about paragraphs and passages. 
Um, yeah. It, it ties in very nicely to something that Marika has actually been talking about a lot, which is like, people should be writing proper paragraphs that are about one topic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> this was a readability thing, but it's now becoming an SEO thing as well, uh, for uh, exactly the same reasons, probably. Yeah. Um, but all of these tie together in, in an area that you've been working in, in way before all of us did in like the PWAs, servers, workers, everything around that. How, what is happening in that world? I mean, I look at PWAs uh, and I still don't see all that much day-to-day -day use of it, but I probably, that is changing a bit over time, it seems. Yeah, it does feel a lot like PWAs have kind of slowed down and Google has stopped pushing them as hard as they were. And I think it might be because Google was really um, organizing uh, almost too heavily around PWA being so great and look at all these other features like you can have immediate um, uh, one-click check-in, one-click check, or one-click login, one-click checkout, all of this stuff, but then that relied on a Google backend that was Google Pay or Android Pay and uh, a lot of authentication. So I think it's a, a mix of um, some of the browsers weren't as wild about that. Um, and then the, all the evolution of the privacy concerns have kind of reoriented Google to try, you know, they're trying to appease everyone, but still, you know, lean hard on their technology and push it along with PWA as making PWA easier. But I think it, it's still important. And actually, it may just be a pivot because the, the fragmentation of the indexing um, seems critical um, as a workaround for indexing apps as well. Or if you think about a single page app or a single page PWA where it all uses one URL, if Google's able to overlay a unique identifying link where there was none, then that makes app indexing an app in the broadest sense of the word uh, much easier for them. And especially yeah. when you add rendering in. Yeah, so they can send you straight into a specific page in an app. Into a specific screen because yeah. apps don't have pages. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. It, so that but then you could link in the search results to a recipe inside an app uh, on a specific screen, for instance. Deep linking. Well, and Google could do it potentially for you. They could index the app, especially with you know the heavier focus on the second phase of indexing, which is rendering. If they can render the screen and then parse it and overlay a link, then they might have solved the problem that PWA was kind of helping them solve. Yeah. Now, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, this is way too hard, how does this affect uh, normal websites? Is this something that only really big businesses are should be thinking of, or is this something that applies to everyone? That's a good question. Um, if listeners are listening and they, they're totally confused, then it might just not apply, you know, but it's, it's mostly applicable to companies who have big budgets and are trying really new cutting edge things and have um, the 
the energy and budget to try these things and, and watch and hopefully Google will do all the follow through. But we know Google sometimes starts projects and then pauses them for a long time. So it's not meant for the, you know, small business SEOs who are working on a super duper limited budget and one developer. It's meant more for the big enterprise companies who have uh, flexibility in budgets and testing and really want to be on the cutting edge of things. But it's good yeah. to know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think PWAs actually in themselves already have some applications that are very doable in, in WordPress even with a Google's official PWA plugin for WordPress. You can turn your WordPress site into a very bare bones, I might add, uh, PWA like that, but and which gives you some advantages, but they're very minor. I think the, the really cool stuff is only for well, the happy few in, in many ways. Um, yeah. Related to that, in, uh, and this is a topic that I can't get Jono to shut up about, my colleague Jono, for those listening. Um, he's on the AMP advisory board, but um, he talks about a lot about Bento Amp uh, or basically taking pieces of that. Is that something you're playing with as well? Not really. It's a bit like Gutenberg, right, where things have different um, IDs, and, and that fits perfectly with the fragmentation of index. Yeah, no, it, it is. When when we look at it, it's awesome because AMP has some great ideas um, and some not so great ideas. And we'd like to be able to just use the great ideas and not, <laughs> and not the not so great ones. And it seems like we'll soon get there. Um, you were one of the very first people, I, I think it was at the same conference at the time that, that talked about, hey, if they can do this, then they can do stuff with the knowledge graph that is, well, basically language agnostic. Um, can you explain what that means and how, to, how to, well, they've actually just rolled it out. So you were right on, on, on the mark there. Uh, but can you explain what that means? Yeah, sure. So when Google is able to take fragments of the index, take pieces, um, then it's much easier for them to get a good translation of it. And my idea was, what if there's really great information that's written in um, one language, like a smaller language, like Dutch, like let's say Dutch. <laughs> it's and, never happened. Uh, but, but brilliant stuff is written in Dutch and I'm searching for something on that topic but I don't have the right keywords because I'm searching in English. That would be sad. And that would limit the, the transmission of information. And maybe, you know, someone solved cancer, but they can't find it. They can't surface it. So I think this is one of the problems that Google's trying to solve. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think this happens in Dutch because we all speak English. Uh, <laughs> but this does probably happen in a lot of other languages. To be fair, we're also, most of us at least, is, is so fluent in English that we just start blogging in English as I did too. <laughs> um, but that what we've seen recently is that they started just literally translating knowledge graph panels and, and all these other things. So they're they're doing that right now. I mean, I, I when I Google my own name, which of course I do um, because I'm like that, um, I, I get a, in Dutch now, I get a translated English page showing up at my knowledge panel. Um, it's, it's really weird what that empowers is, do, do you get that actually in the U S do you, do you get results from other languages or is that purely to 
haven't seen it as much. I've seen it the other way where if you set um, a phone language to be um, Dutch and then you're searching in English, you'll get the English, you'll get the Dutch translation, but then you change your phone language to be Dutch and you get it in Dutch. So Google's trying to match the intent of the searcher based on what their settings are in the phone or in the search engine. Yeah. It, if I can switch gears a bit, a bit, in in all those recent announcements, they've also Google has also uh, said a lot about opening up um, shopping features to to a lot of different pla- different platforms. Does that tie into this in a way? Because that that looks very similar. Yeah, absolutely. Google wants to open up markets um, and get products being sold wherever they could be purchased, right? And so Google did a project, I'm trying to think of it, there was a name where they were testing out where you would let them uh, tell you what your site is classified for and then they would tell you the potential market growth that you could have if you were also advertising in Japan. And you know, there's a huge market share for this in China. And so they were just trying to use it as a selling thing to say, we can translate your ads, we can translate your keywords, let us handle it. And we'll make you loads of money in ads. <laughs> yeah. And of course, they always say that you should advertise. But when they tell you that, what you really should be doing is doing SEO. Uh, it, it is uh, funny. It, with all those changes in um, in advertising lately uh, and, and tracking, and you actually mentioned it yourself, the, the, the new privacy regulations. It seems as though SEO has become more popular than ever before. Um, and, and and I'm looking at it and I'm going, we've heard SEO is dead every other year now. And, and it seems to be going in exactly the opposite direction. I how is How are you looking at that? Is your market doing well in many ways? I think that SEO has become a term that most marketers know, whereas when we started, it absolutely was not. And so everyone's saying, let's do SEO, but I don't know if everyone who's saying it actually means it. Um, because, and, and I think SEO has changed so much, and especially on mobile, um, you know, ranking position one could be anywhere from the top to the middle of the page. And I feel like this doesn't get enough attention. Like SEOs just blindly um, are happy with a position two ranking. Um, And that the blue links aren't driving the same amount of clicks or visibility as they used to. It's the interactive results that are really getting clicks. Um, and, you know, people love interactive stuff. So they love people also ask and um, expanders on knowledge graph or plus boxes or um, any kind of disambiguation. All that stuff is more finger friendly for mobile searches than um, than a blue leak. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, for well, for your customers, they, they, they would all probably have the majority of their traffic come from mobile, right? Because yeah, we absolutely. are one of those very weird sites, but that's a very, Yoast.com is one of the weirdest sites on the planet because 95% of our traffic is desktop traffic. Um, but that's because everyone who comes to our site is working on their WordPress site and you don't do that on mobile. So <laughs> our own site is is something that I can use as a reference for a lot of things, but not for this. <laughs> and so I don't know even... People, people who are using our tools uh, are doing work for their job, 
Uh, and so they're sitting at their computer. So it's actually a disproportionately high amount of desktop traffic to our website. Well, let's talk about those tools because you are always building new tools. What are you building right now? Can you can you give us some secrets on cool stuff you're working on? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, the Serperator is the tool that gets the most attention. It um, allows you to choose a phone, choose any phone, and search uh, as if you were standing anywhere um, and get a real live Google result. So Google thinks that we're phones. So for instance, if you were searching for a restaurant in Tokyo, uh, presumably you would get the restaurants, but they would say closed because you know of time zones, potentially. I'm not sure what time it is in Tokyo. But um, it, it matches exactly. It's not a cached result. It's not through a secret API. Um, it's exactly what a real person standing at that address would get. And so we've built that functionality out quite a bit. And we allow you to um, do the same test uh, daily, weekly, or monthly. Um, we parse the results and tell you actual rank and traditional rank. Actual rank counts everything, including ads and including things that Google pretends don't exist uh, that take up space. Um, also, it shows pixel height. Um, and you, the good thing about that one is all of them, you don't actually have to own the website to track it. Um, we can, you can put your competitors in there and stuff like that, parse it all. Um, and then we give you a, what we call the Moxie score, which is like, how much of the SERP do you own? Because, and we let you claim anything in the SERP. So if you have the ads, claim those. If you have your Facebook you know, pages there, claim it. If you're mentioned in a top 10 article, that's you. That's good for you, right? So you can claim all those things as you, and we give you a score of how, the Moxie score, which is how visible are you and how much do you really, how much Moxie do you have on this cert? How much do you own it? So, and we track all those things and we can graph all those things over time, including the pixel height of the position, and we can pull in Search Console and um, all that stuff. That is pretty awesome. I, I've honestly not played with this enough, and I'm sorry, Cindy. <laughs> I'll tell you quickly, the Pagescope is the other tool that the SEOs like, and that's the one that captures just any page on the web. And so, um, you know, if you have developers making changes that, that they don't tell you about, it'll capture it uh, daily, weekly, or monthly. And it also captures the uh, source code and the rendered co code and gives you a diff checker. Um, and we're adding in some functionality to highlight when major changes happen in the graph, um, but and and adding also in uh, natural language API and a couple couple other things to show you what entities pop up on the page, so you can see when you lose entity understanding or when you gain it. That's something that um, not a whole lot of people use yet, but probably should. And at the same time, it's very. It, it, I, have you found a way to explain that concept easily to people that uh, don't don't get it? Well, I, I usually give them the mother example, right? So mother, there are different words for mother in every language, but it's about the relationships. So mother always has, you know, a child or a daughter or a son or a husband. And so even though the word may change, the relationships stay the same. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and so that's what an entity is, but and, but how do you tie an entity to a page? Well, uh, Google 
uh, helps, or at least Google decides when you've tied the entity to the page. So um, Google evaluates the language on the page and evaluates sentiment. What does it mean? Is it positive or negative? And kind of determines what it thinks the page is about. And um, if you're trying to relate a page to a specific entity, um, there are things you can do in schema that help. For instance, if you're a company having same as schema that helps Google understand that um, Yosesio is this company and Yosesio on Facebook is right here and Yosesio on LinkedIn is here and that these are all the same company. Um, and we've tried some other creative stuff um, with the same as schema uh, linking to um, let's say videos that include me but are not by me that are owned by someone else. Um, limited success, but I think that that will grow over time. I think that Google's looking for any kind of way to understand uh, when they can kind of create um, or consolidate an idea or like an entity. Sometimes I think of it as like a canonical, like if I can get like all of the Cindy Crumb stuff to kind of associate uh, with me, my picture, my the idea of me, my knowledge graph, then that's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny that topic keeps pulling popping back in into every recording we do at the moment because everybody's playing with how do these relationships work and how do we get how do we actually influence it. We look at it from a slightly different perspective, I guess, than most other SEOs. Uh, we being me and Jono, because we are actually looking at it from the from like, hey, we can change a couple of million sites at a time. Uh, how can we how can we make these changes and help, well, help Google understand this a bit better. Um, we well, recently... and with our Moxie score, I'm kind of trying to back into understanding entities better, right? Because people say, this is me, this is me, this is me. And so then I can have a database of who's associated with what. Yeah. And then you can actually use that to, uh, to reverse engineer it the other way around as well. Yeah, no, that's very smart. I, I, we look at a lot of that data. Um, we recently added some features to Yoseo to, uh, to actually be able to, uh, create your profiles a bit better in, in schema so that people could say, put their rewards and their, the languages they know and stuff like that into the schema on a page. It, it is, it's really funny to see how quickly Google picks up some of that and how they seem to be like completely unable to pick up some of the other stuff. It's, it's really hard to understand what they're doing. Um, but what scares me most about all of these relations is the parts where Google infers relations from data that does not have schema. Uh, so when they are parsing text and then f saying, yeah, this is probably the same person as that person. Um, that, that's just, is that something they do, could, they would do on mobile as well? Is that based on, 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 on it probably is on their entity recognition and, and them doing that well, manually or auto, sorry, automatically and, and thus not having any control. Yeah, absolutely. I think Google is trying to use us as an unpaid army of um, coders to mark up everything we can with schema. And then it's going to take what it learns from our schema and apply it to um, the stuff that doesn't have schema yet. And they've, they've been very um, 
more and more open about this. So at Google I.O. this year, they talked about what's called clips markup, where you can, if you have a video, you can add clips markup to say when are certain sections of the video and put the timestamps in there. But in the next slide, in the Google I.O. presentation, they're like, that's clips markup. This is seek markup where we do it uh, automatically. And that hasn't launched yet, but it will soon. And it was like, they, uh, they almost said, you know, they were so close. Give us a training set. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We are literally providing them a training set so they can do it themselves. After that, yeah, it's it's what we do. It it's funny. I, um, I mentioned this when I uh, was talking to Lily Ray uh, recently on the podcast that they've been asking for GTINs and and NPNs, etc., for products for uh, for a while now and pushing hard on people putting in those numbers. And then you see them come out with new shopping features, and you go like, "Oh, that's what you needed that for." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and if you if you haven't looked much, um, the all of the Merchant Center stuff, um, where they're now taking Merchant Center feeds, but they don't have to be funded. They can be just a spreadsheet of your products as a feed that you just put in, and then you can they can understand exactly what products you have, and that gives it more likelihood that you're going to at least be included in what I've been calling product knowledge graph. I'm not sure what Google's calling these, but it's like, this is, you know, the thing. And here are all the stores that we know that sell it. And here are the prices that they have. And here are the colors that it comes in. And I think that, you know, retailers aren't going to love that because it's going to push prices down. Um, but com users are going to love it. Yeah, users are going to love it, but it's ultimate capitalism in that it'll drive revenues to absolutely zero or, or profits, at least not revenues, but it Google's revenues, <laughs> yeah, not Google's. No, I know. Um, but but it is interesting when you when you look at that that they they are able to move us like that as a community of SEOs and site builders. Because well, we all like that traffic too much, basically, and and not doing it uh, as one or two sites is not going to make a difference because others are doing it. So, um, is so there let me ask you a question. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? How big do you think this Core Web Vitals stuff is going to be? So. First of all, Core Web Vitals is Jono's territory, and I try not to get it. <laughs> um, now, it's funny. I more and more, and actually the other day, John Mueller was tweeting about this. This is a concept I talk about a lot in our company is premature optimization. Um, it's something that happens in development all the time because people are like yeah but if this and that happens then we need to do this so we so they build all these extra fallbacks into code that aren't needed um and people do this in seo and i think um that is very important to realize that core web vitals is is gonna make some chain difference in very high competitive results but I don't see it make a very big difference in in low low competitive results, and that with that it probably won't make a difference on a whole lot of search results. Because I tend to agree. In my mind, I'm equating it to HTTPS. 
But yeah. I think Google, it's, it's, if Google wanted us to do it and do it well, and it really mattered, they wouldn't have created so many tools that give so many scores that change all the time and are super variable. Like they're just trying to terrify everyone. I, I don't know whether it's that. I, what, what I think mostly it, it'll be like HTTPS, but also HTTPS in the long run. So, so it won't make a difference in six months all that much. But four years from now, if your site's still slow, it will probably be a huge problem. If your site right now is not on HTTPS, you you well you have a problem, right? I mean, it, it not just in ranking, but in user trust. And, and I think that's the same for Core Web Vitals. If they succeed in actually making the whole web faster, then the reason why your why you, your site needs to be fast is because you're slow in comparison to your competitors, not because you're uh, you're not re reaching a certain number in one of their tools. Well, but I think that they're calling it the experience update because they can't in good conscience call it the user experience update because it's all about the bot experience. It's all about making stuff hold still so that they can snap the picture and OCR it, basically. It, it, it is very much, this, this should call it the CO2 update because it is very much about them saving energy on crawling the web. Well, and that's the generous interpretation, saving energy, <laughs> but also saving money. <laughs> no, yeah. And the, the funny thing is, so we, we worked with uh, Google's WordPress team that they have uh, on, on adding XML sitemaps to WordPress core. Um, we had XML sitemaps in Yoast CEO, and they said, yeah, those are great, but we want them in WordPress core. So every WordPress site on the planet has XML sitemaps because 62% of WordPress sites doesn't have an SEO plugin. And I was thinking about why would they want that? And the, the only reason I can come up with is crawl efficiency. It's exactly true. I've been saying, and I know Jono has too, that if you could just hand Google... Um, a JSON-LD document instead of your website, that's what they would prefer. They don't actually want to crawl. They want to ingest things in API. And that's why they have that merchant center thing. That's why they have the jobs indexing API. And everything, I think, will eventually move towards, maybe not become, but start to look more like um, an API indexing process with natural validation right with a crawling validation but the web so, uh, so what i talked about last week is that with serverless development and and all of the progression that's happening in development the cost to create a really complicated but fantastic website um the number of people cost and time has gone way way down so there's less disincentive for people to create loads and loads of content and google's still expected to crawl and index it all and so they're trying to get ahead of the game and figure out number one is it faster for us just to render the page and scrape it than it is to push through all that heavy code or where and when do we need to just incur like create a new experience and encourage api indexing yeah it is it's funny one of the discussions so Jono and i are pretty active on the git on the github for schema.org and there is an active discussion there about how can we um, serve schema in another way than just as a JSON-LD blob on a page? Because 
those blobs of schema become quite big at a certain point. So if you look at my personal blog, yoast.blog, uh, and then go slash question mark schema, you see you can basically put question mark schema after every URL on my site, uh, on my blog, and you'll get the schema version of that page. And all you get is schema. And um, we are looking at, well, is this something that Google would like? Is this something that they would like to, to, to do? Because we can just give them an alternate version of that of every URL that just outputs schema. That's very simple in in our uh, architecture of USSEO right now. And and uh, actually talking about this with Dan Brickley from Schema because he's very interested in the concept. I think that's one of the things where SEOs need to well, look at it and realize how much Schema is becoming a true representation of everything that's on the page. Yeah, that's super cool. Well, and in the app world, they're the basically app indexing sitemaps called app association files. And it it's similar. And I think that they'll build it out and continue to build it out where you can put schema to help Google find and know when to create a link, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on there. There's also a discussion in another issue, but they're all related to each other. It's like, how can we really make cross URL referencing and schema a thing? Because Jason LD supports that, but Google doesn't support it. And so we're now talking like, how can we put the homepage schema or the organization schema for an organization purely on the homepage of of a website? Because that would save so much traffic already. So there's a lot of these things that are yeah that they're doing cool things with, and that we're just playing. It's it's um. Related to that, how many of your customers are using WordPress? Maybe one or two. <laughs> so that's not a whole lot, but that you work for mostly big brands, right? Really big companies, yeah. So yeah. they do their own usually. Yeah. So they, but do you have a lot of discussions inside those companies on on building their own or 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 choosing something like WordPress? We have some. So I'm working with a company that's just getting started. Um, and they kind of said, okay, what, what blog software should we use? And I said, WordPress. And they said, oh, God, why? And I was just like, it's going to be best, probably best for what you guys need in the long run. And Google knows how to crawl and index it. And, and I knew that, like, you guys talk to WordPress and Google talks to WordPress. Like, we may as well... Well, it, it is, that's the thing, right? Even for those big brands, it, it, it can't be, it, it just has to be very hard to, to, to keep getting money to make changes that would have cost you absolutely nothing when you were, if you were in WordPress. Well, exactly. And even if you're just hiring writers or content creators to try and teach them a platform that's not WordPress is extra time and effort and energy. But most people in that line of work can do WordPress. Yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, it's good to hear. That's job security for me. I like it. <laughs> not that I needed it, but it's good to hear anyway. Um, so what do you think is the thing that people in, in SEO should really be focusing on right now? What should they be learning about? So we've been pushing really hard on... Um, I'm trying to decide if you're going to think this is cool or not. Uh, so we've been pushing <laughs> really hard on speakable schema because um, 
It's really easy to do. And I think whether or not SEOs believe it or tease me or joke about voice search, I do think that it's going to be revolutionary um, because, and I don't think Google's going to give up on it. Um, but I think that it's the way that people think about it is slightly wrong. Um, people think about voice search as like yelling a keyword at a device, and that's not how it's going to be. It's going to be more conversational, and it's going to be um, micro tasks, which is great for the way that things are evolving in development, where everything is becoming um, software as a service or individual functions as a service um, and individual kind of uh, pieces of the cloud that do certain things. Um, and, and Google's prepared for that. They've done all of um, the work to, to make their virtual assistants and connected devices, Internet of Things, um, work well and fast and all that. But so speakable schema is basically how to FAQ and Q&A. And I think that those are the things that Google is looking for to bring into its other surfaces. And so I'm pushing on it because I think that people have... Um, potential benefits for being an early mover um, and marking up their, their stuff with that schema. But also we're seeing massive payouts in the search results now in a traditional or a mobile search result. When you have a FAQ schema on a page, it can be a product page, a category page, a blog post, anything. You get basically your own people also ask underneath it. Um, that's, and that, those are finger friendly. People like to expand and click and, and that shows engagement. Right. And Google doesn't say click through or bounce rate is a ranking factor, but they sure do say engagement is right. And so we're doing that. And I've even seen and I presented this last week also is um, where they had one site had success with implied questions where it was a doctor directory and it didn't have the words. What insurance does this doctor accept? It just said insurance expander and specialties expander. And so their people also ask looked like um, site links is beautiful. Yeah, that is that is very beautiful. Is it? Do you think that actually uh, imp uh, implementing speakable on on pages that don't have FAQ or Q&A markup would would make sense? So to mark a specific paragraph as speakable, for instance? Well, so what we've been doing is trying to include it at the bottom of a lot of things. So for instance, if you have a blog post about something, um, you write your summary paragraph, and then we do kind of an FAQ that kind of helps with the summary. So um, it draws out the most actionable pieces of the blog post. And as long as you have three, that's fine. Um, and with how to, um, we've been kind of repositioning some of the things that we write or that, that we have clients write where you can actually put how to in front of just about anything if you add the word think or conceive or blah, blah, you know, how to think about schema, how to think about um, buying a new car, how to decide when, you know, it's just you add another action verb in there and it's fine. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, we have been encouraging it. We have been, you know, any to me, those those two kinds of schema, FAQ and how to, they can be on the same page. So it's great for, you know, some kinds of category pages or um, feature pages for a SaaS tool. 
Um, I mean, it, we have these great blocks in Yoast SEO for both of them. It's very simple with Yoast SEO to make these. I And I love them. I, I totally agree with you. I, one of the things that I've been looking at a bit is is whether for news sites especially, it would make sense to, to automatically mark up the first paragraph as speakable. Uh, because if, if they're if they're decent editors, then their first paragraph will be, well, the most important bits of the news. Uh, well, speakable. I usually only use speakable in the format of an FAQ or a how-to. So if you were going to do the first paragraph of a news article, you might have some implied question like summary and make sure that your first paragraph is a summary or an abstract of the longer um, thing. So, but it has to be a question. That's what you're saying. Well, it, from what we've seen, it has to be a question or an implied question. And we haven't gotten um, any direct feedback saying implied questions are considered white hat, uh, but we have seen it work. And if Google's just using it as training data, I would anticipate that their language API, their language understanding programs would love to learn about implied questions. Like, I think that's where they ultimately want to get. So the, that kind of training might be useful for them. Yeah, I, I think their goal is to answer the question before you ask them, right? That's what they, yeah. they said a, a while ago, that that was their goal, the, to build the Star Trek machine. Though, is to be to be considered, I think, valid, or maybe it'll validate, but it's it's not exactly what they want. So you have to have three questions. Yeah, for FAQ markup. Yeah, otherwise, it, it, yeah, if you don't have, if, if you have less than it, won't always take it. No, that's true. It, it's also one of their... Um, honestly, worst parts parts of of how they how they parse schema because if you do it only slightly wrong, it doesn't render at all. <laughs> so it it it's very easy to break. It's very brittle. Um, but yeah, so no. It, it, yeah. yeah, I have one more question for you. Have you seen how to markup on like a Google Home Hub device? Uh, yeah, I've I've seen screenshots of it, but not uh, not myself. It just says exactly, you know, your step one and the picture and the text and expander, and it'll read it to you. And then you can say next, just like the same thing it does for recipes. Okay. Really so, I need, so I need to order one of those and play with it. <laughs> it's always a good when someone gives me reason to order new toys. <laughs> Okay, I want to thank you, Cindy. I think we can talk about this for for a, almost a decade if we want to. But we've been over we've been going for over forty minutes already, so it's been a, a, a delight talking to you as always. I hope to get to see you in person again soon. But yeah, we'll see how that goes and whether we're allowed to fly to the US at some point. Um, and thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was the Yoast SEO podcast. If you're not subscribed yet, by all means, do on one of your favorite platforms and tune in for the next show. Bye-bye.